Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with VA... Log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Kutcher. Uh, yes, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 11th day of April, 2019. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, uh, uh, John Stacy there, and our guest speaker today, is uh, Alex Graham, a.k.a. Fnod, and uh, he's a certified veterans claims agent. So we're going to have a good program here. Um, we might, we're going to throw in a little bit about Agent Orange after, at the back side of the show here. Uh, um, Alex is going to, uh, talk to us about this new claims process. Uh, I think he went to some kind of big uh, hoop to raw, and uh, they discussed this uh, in depth. So you're pretty well up to date on this, aren't you, Alex? Yes, sir. I just got back from Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Went went out there to do the National Organizations of Veterans Affairs. <laughs> went out there to get my continuing legal education. So the things I went was to learn this new AMA, the Appeals Management Act. It's uh, I thought the Mississippi River had a bunch of kicks in it. You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) I like to describe this as like it's two forks. But you start out with the first fork, and it has three tines on it. So you filed your VA 526EZ, and you get denied. So now you've got three choices you can make. You don't file an NOD anymore in the new system because an NOD doesn't exist at the regional office level. First of all, we're going to, let me show There is no ramp. Ramp does not exist anymore. If you didn't oh, okay. go into ramp, February 14th, you're never going to go into ramp. You might as well forget about thinking about it. All right. Okay, so we're in the new system, which started on February 19th. Uh, Everything, every decision that occurred after February 19th, hush up. Everything that happened after February 19th works like this. The three choices. You've got a choice where you can go out and find some kind of new and material, excuse me, new and 
relevant evidence. I'd say relevant material are all six of one, half a dozen of the other, but you know the VA, they got to put a new name into anything and make it sound different. But it's basically you got to come up with new material evidence so that you can keep your claim alive. That's called the supplemental review lane. And they have a new form for this. All these forms are 20 dash rather than 21 dash. So that's, I, I'm not sure, I don't have it right here in front of me, but I think that's a VA form 20 0995. So if you have new material evidence, you submit that. Maybe you've got a new doctor's report, you got a buddy letter, you've got anything you can get your little hands on that's new and pertains to your claim. It's relevant to what you're doing here, whatever your claim is, be it PTSD, OSA, secondary to PTSD, hepatitis C, whatever it is, you got to produce something. And I'm not, I'm, you, didn't, you can't go down to Wikipedia on your computer and print up a Wikipedia article on, on something because you know as well as I do, if you really want to, you just push edit and you can make that article read what you want it to read for as long as it takes before somebody else comes along and changes its back and makes it right. So you have to use studies, but more appropriately, when you start pulling stuff down off the Internet, it's generalized. It, it, it refers to a bunch of people. It doesn't refer to you personally. It, you can't download a nexus from the Internet and say, here's my nexus. See, it says 85% of people like me who are in Vietnam, they get, you know, uh, Porphyria containing a target. I know I didn't come down with it in the first year when I left Vietnam, but I have it now, so that's what it is. Trust me, and the article supports that. That won't work. <clears throat> but that gives you an idea. You've got to have something. You might go out and actually get a real full-blown nexus. You might go to your VA doctor and get down on all fours and beg, and he'll, he won't write it because he doesn't want to lose his job. That, uh, if it's one of those doctors in, in a combined situation, like uh, Duke Medical Center right next to Winston-Salem uh, Regional Office, uh, if it was uh, the Salem VAMC right next to Oregon Health Sciences uh, University, up here in Seattle, University of Washington Med School, 99% of the doctors seem to be from there over in the VA section. I've gotten doctors over there to write next letters for my clients. Uh, and uh, anyway, the second phase, the second prong of your fork of the three, would be to go for a higher level. Oh, that's okay. To go for a higher level of review, the HLR or the 20-0996. Hold on a second. I got a feeder. I know what's wrong. Thanks. Good. Anyway, oh, we have a anyway. caller in here. Let me check him out while you're doing that. Okay, go ahead. Yes, caller 804 uh, area code. Uh, do you have a question or comment for Alex? Hello? Yeah, caller 804, uh, area code. They're probably just listening, Joe. Oh, I bet they are. Okay. So, so the, the next 
stick or the neck, the middle prong of your fork says you can go for a higher level of review. Now, most of y'all remember or are aware of what's called a DRO review. You go in there, seller sits there and listens to you, and about six months to 16 months later, you get a nice little brown envelope in the mail. It says, what part of no don't you understand? But in the HLR lane, you can't take any new evidence up, up there. All you can do is just kind of fill out the form and say, you guys screwed up. The, the proper way to look at this is thus and so. But you can't take a new IMO of a HLR decision. Okay? Now, okay. of those two prongs that I just told you about, if you submitted a final claim, which is basically a notice of disagreement with evidence, and they deny it, you can take it to a higher level of review according to the way the paperwork looks and the way the act is written, but in reality, they say, no, you can't. That's a denial, and you're supposed to go up to the BVA from there. Same thing with a higher level of review. You, It would appear that you could just kind of make a U-turn after a higher level of review, go grab some evidence, and it, it's a I'm going to tell you about that in a second. And then you could just take that and go right back down and go into the supplemental um, claims lane and submit your IMO. And that's what I'm going to start doing. But I, I don't think you're going to see me in a higher level of review because the denial rate is pretty steep. That's like climbing Mount Rainier in your tennis shoes and shorts and no T-shirt. Okay. So the third prong, which we'll want to describe here, is to just fill out a 101-82 and go straight, just go straight to the board. The board is now in the business of taking notices of disagreement. That's where that went. 0958, notice of disagreement, no longer exists, but does exist in as much as you can go directly to the Board of Veterans' Appeals as fast as your little red slippers will carry you. And the reason for that is is you're going to get a judge that looks at your claim. I don't, you don't have to sit and wait for a higher level review or a supplemental claim laying down there down below. You might win it at that supplemental claims level if you've got a good IMO. I plan on trying to do that. But all my claims that I have right now are all legacy claims. I did not opt into ramp before 2000 or February 14th, the Valentine's Day cutoff. I stayed in legacy because I, I, I kept thinking, you know what, I don't want to be trapped in that railroad. I don't want to be going down that road and not be able to change things. I want to see what everybody else, what kind of trouble they get into. And sure enough, everybody got in and they're real disgusted about it. So all of my stuff that I'm getting an SOC on or an SSOC, I'm taking that and converting and going over into the new system and going directly up to the board. And what I'm doing is going out and getting IMOs, professional ones for my guys, because most of them are difficult. These guys have been fighting for 10 years, and they haven't had any success. And the reason they haven't is because they had Mr. DAV and Mr. VFW and whoever else out there and they're bouncing along there, and he gets two buddy letters and, and something that says he was near the perimeter on at, at Ubon Air Base, and they deny him. And it's just kind of sick. 
the VSOs don't say, look, you want to go, you want to go see Doctor Bash or Doctor Nays or something, and get a full blown MO or uh, go get an attorney and have him get one for you for two thousand fifteen hundred dollars. Now they're getting dirt cheap. So you want to go to the board because the board has a guy with a Juris Doctorate after his name, not a GS thirteen step six. And the a bad thing about this that scares me and and I don't like is that they're trying to uh, <clears throat> they will uh, get all the way through a higher level of review <clears throat> and know they're going to lose it. And I was just reading about that on the Nova website. We, if you're a member, you can. There's another inside part of the Nova website that just where all the attorneys and agents and whatnot talk to each other on kind of like a Facebook chat line. And these guys says, yeah, uh, I've had four higher-level reviews. All of a sudden, the guy goes, sorry, we're, we're continuing the higher-level review. We're closing it out. Uh, and the guy's the attorney says, okay, well, was it a, a win or a loss? And the guy says, well, it wasn't either. We're just going to um, close it out and send it back down into the supplemental claims review. And the attorney goes, well, wait a minute, I already went through supplemental claims review. And they said, well, that's no longer um, operable. We're going to do a new supplemental claims review. So what happens is they win down there at the supplemental claims review because it was obvious from the higher level of review that they were going to win. But the difference, Gerald, is that if he, if the attorney had won at the higher level of review, then they'd have to deduct 20%. For his uh, from the client's winnings, if they yes. quote discontinue the higher level of review, send it back down to the supplemental claims lane. That's a new claim, and it goes through, and the guy wins. They don't deduct anything for the attorney because that's a new claim. It's not the claim that had the NOD on it, so to speak, up there at the higher level of review. So the VA is screwing with us. Well, yeah, but then the they done. would lose. Uh, do they lose their retro? They'll pay the retro when it's due, but rarely do they ever, unless you go into a whole new fight to get the retro. You know that. Yeah. They might be and then say, "Yeah, but we're going to only grant it to 2016." You go, "No, no, 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 no! I started this claim in 2005." And they go, "Yeah, well." The evidence doesn't show that you had ischemic heart disease until 2015. Well, no, I beg your pardon. Well, then if you don't like our decision, file a claim. So you go to the higher level of review. But either way you go on either one of them, you're going to, if you lose there, if you don't keep circling the wagons down there at the supplemental claims lane with new material, new and relevant evidence, then you're going to end up going to the board. Now, I used to counsel people years and years and years ago not to waste their time on a DRO because the moment you get your denial, file your nod, uh, and just just let it, the chips fall where they may with a traditional appeal, don't go the DRO review thing because it's going to tax 16 months on your claim, and then you're still going to get a denial or else they'll say, okay, we're going to give you tinnitus from 2015, and you're saying, no, 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 it was 2005. Fine. 
you know, put it on the VA-9 if you don't like it. Well, it's the same thing now with the new system, except they're just screwing the attorneys out of any money at all when they send it to that supplemental claims lane from the higher level of review. So I'm not going to waste my time down there. I never did it with DRO reviews. I abhor them. I don't like it. I can get in there and talk until I'm blue in the face, and they look at you with some stupid grin on their face. When you get finished talking, they go, well, you haven't given me anything I can work with here today. And I'm, what the hell are you talking about, said, dude? And they say, yeah. Uh, I'll let you know my decision. And sure enough, you know, six to 16 months later, you get the denial, which is the SOC. Well, there aren't SOCs anymore except in legacy, and we're gradually filtering those out. Those are the decisions, like I said, they are finally coming due from before St. Valentine's Day 2019. Eventually, that will all be gone, all the ramp appeals, opt-ins from back then will be gone and will be in the new system. But until that happens, you, when you get to the SOC or SSOC, <clears throat> at that point and only at that point after February 19th, can you opt-in to the new system. Now, when you opt-in, you literally could, could turn around with an SOC. You could turn around and go back to the supplemental claims lane and keep your effective date or go to a higher level of review. That's a, I think it's like a two-way street in every direction, everywhere. As long as you don't miss a date, you can keep these things going from now until hell freezes over, personally. Well, it sounds like they have it uh, structured in such a way that you may have to do that, Alex. Well, I just got just, one in the mail uh, the other day. It's a SOC, and I'm glad they sent me that. It was an SSOC. Excuse me, the SOC was back in November of last year, so this is the SSOC, and they decided to give this guy tinnitus and headaches for 50, tinnitus 10, and the son of a gun crammed his PTSD into his TBI and took his 50% TBI, uh, PTSD rating away, and then looked me straight in the face and says, well, it didn't change anything. I mean, he's still getting to you. I said, yeah, but if you hadn't have taken his PTSD away, he'd be getting SMCS. And they said, well, he doesn't qualify for that. And I said, well, he damn sure doesn't now. You made sure of that. So it's against the law to, in an SSOC. Look it up in the regulations, 19.31. You may not reduce or do anything unless it was mentioned or it is part and parcel of the SOC. You can't just drag something in from a field and stick it in there and say, okay, oh, yeah, by the way, we're taking your PTSD away and just kind of rolling it all up in a ball full of BI stuff. It's two completely different diseases or disease processes. Well, that's what I thought. Uh, was you able able to uh, get that resolved? Well, while we were in Nashville, um, the VA had sent two people there for us to talk to. First one's the head judge of the BVA. Her name is Cheryl Mason. She's a real nice gal. But you know how VA talks. It's doublespeak. They're sitting there smiling. Uh-huh. Left hand with a dagger in their left hand behind their back. Yeah, for real. 
She gave a good speech, and then the guy that's in charge, uh, the director of the Appeals Management Office, which used to be called the Appeals Resolution, Resolution Center, which used to be called the Appeals Management Center. Do you remember all those different initials? It used yeah. to be called the AM, the Black Hole. What that is, is that's a regional office, or used to be, inside the BVA. So you've got a decision for a judge to sign off on, and judge goes, uh-oh, there's no SOC on this one for the uh, hearing loss. So they send it down to the appeals management office, and they crank out an SOC and deny for the hearing loss, send it back up to the judge and say, yep, see, now it's legally sufficient. So it just saves them having to spend a year packing it up and sending it to Seattle or Minneapolis, St. Paul, and having them write the SOC and then sending it back to the BVA. Now, that you know how long that takes, at least a year. So they just yeah. had AMO do it. But Mr. David McLennachan was there, and he was telling us all about how wonderful everything was going to be, smooth sailing, you know, free pop for everybody. And uh, he made the mistake of saying, you know, if, if, if there's a problem here, if you feel like you know, you're not getting any traction with the local yokels in Waco, that the David Koresh Memorial Regional Office in Waco, Texas, if you're not getting any action there, why, you just call me. Here's my email. <laughs> McClanachan at VA.gov. Well, God dang, his phone's ringing off the hook or computer's vibrating about every three seconds. So oh, I, I just I just packaged up the whole thing and sent it to McClanachan. And I said, have you ever seen anything like this? They, they gave him some stuff and they took away some stuff and then they took away a 26-year protected rating and uh, 20% and reduced that to zero and then looked me in the face and said, well, see, we really didn't change anything. Um, he's still rated 80%. Yeah, but he'd be rated about 105 if you hadn't done that little shell game with a three-card money swinging them all around on the table and trying to make you figure out where it's hiding or the pee underneath the walnut shells. So, uh, they, they're doing, this is the latest game that they're pulling, and it's ugly. I'm hearing all kinds of people complain. But let me, I, I digress. Now, here's the second thing of the fork. you got the fork with the three, ta- three times on it that says Supplemental Claims Higher Level Review or BVA. So you choose the BVA item, and you get to that, and there's three more prongs on it, three more different roads you can walk down. Road number one is, here's my denial. Uh, I want a higher level of review. I don't have any new evidence to submit. They screwed it up. Would you please straighten it out? Here's why I think that they screwed it up. But you can't submit any new evidence. Or, and you can get a decision out of them in about four months that way. Which That's why this is a good system. I mean, there is hope the system. It just needs to be fixed or tuned up a little bit. So you've chosen that you, you make three choices here. I don't have any new evidence to submit. Please make, give me a new decision or option two. I do have some new and material evidence to submit, but I don't want a board hearing. Or three, I have new evidence to submit, and I do want a board hearing in front of the judge. That's going to jack you back about two, and a, two years waiting for one of those 
board hearings if you're waiting for them to come to your regional office to do it, as a, what we call a travel board hearing. You know, a veterans law judge gets on an airplane, flies to uh, Houston, then goes up to Waco, and then might go to San Diego, and then go back to D.C., and he'll spend a week in each place. That's called a traveling board. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of cut through the Gordian knot on that because I wait and wait and wait for some of these hearings. A lot of my guys are terminal. They're dying. That's guys that I help out most of the time because that's what I do for the higher SMC stuff. So you could get them advanced on the docket at the board very easily and get something adjudicated in six months, whereas sometimes it would take two, three years minimum. But uh, with this new... Alex, uh, do you have a diagram there on your website, like uh, a map? You, you got this three-pronged fork going this way, and then off one of them you got a three-pronged fork going off this other way. Well, I don't, but you know what? It's the easiest thing in the world to draw. I got it right here in my noggin. (laughs) Well, that's what I was thinking. Uh, Because what I'm looking here, they're going to keep adding forks onto this this contraption. Uh, uh, Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I can see that happening very easily. Say, well, we need to add a fork over here, and pretty soon you got no no telling where this this contraption's going to end up. Uh, well, uh, way Congress put VA decided on, the VA can't tamper with this system. They gave the the Congress the input, said this is what we want. And that's what Congress created for them. But I don't see it changing so much. I just look at it as a fork in the left hand and a fork in the right. And uh, you start out with the one in the left hand and you lose. My attitude is choose the BVA. If it's a simple thing and you can just write it up and say, you know, these idiots, they they screwed this up six ways to Sunday. I don't see how anybody could screw it up, but they did. And they explained that to a judge. A judge will go, oh, well, shoot, no, duh. And you win, and you do it in four months from the time you, you file your or get into the system. Just Like I said, the second one, if you had a new and material evidence to submit and you didn't want to have a hearing, that's also a good one. That might take six months to eight months, but that's still better than four years. It's smarter. And the last yeah. one, of course, is going to be a problem for you if you do the travel board here, and you might be sitting around waiting two years to get to it. Well, the way I'm understanding this, either direction we turn, we're forked. <laughs> Well, I like the board hearing one because all my guys are, like I said, they're, most of them are terminal. But the ones who aren't terminal, what I've also discovered a little trick is if you've got some flash cash in your pocket, Gerald, I'll fly back there and you meet me in D.C. and I'll schedule a board hearing at the central office. And I can get that done in lickety-split without any kind of problems. 
usually within six months, <clears throat> and sit down right in front of the judge because that's how I win my claim. That judge is looking you in the eye, and you're looking him in the eye, and he realizes that you ain't bullshitting him. You're sick. You're legitimate. You're not some flash in the pan, and you just spent $2,000 on a hotel room and a jet airliner to get to Washington, D.C. for this. You win every time. What do if you work if I'm representing you you do. I don't know about those other attorneys. I'm an agent. I have combat boots before. I know what it feels like. I know how to, to talk combat boots. So that's the sum total of it, but as he said, now we're starting to hear that already that the BA at the regional level is they're having too high a rate of um, error in, in, with the turnover when, you know, if you go up that higher level of review, yes. you realize there's there, that statistic is going to go sky through the roof. and It's going to show that VA has an error rate of 70%. So they don't want that error rate to show. They just cancel your higher level review and send it back down for a, a, a do-over in the supplemental claims lane. Well, you might win there. You might win 10 cents instead of a dollar, but you win, and the and the vet's attorney doesn't make a dime because now it's a new claim again, even though it's already been adjudicated. The attorney or the agent might have already spent six months with it sitting in the higher level of review. All of a sudden, it's, it's right back there at, at, at stage one again, and you can't collect a dime if he makes any money coming out of there. So there's going to be a lot of emails to Mr. David Plenichan over this, I'm sure. I would I just, assume so. Uh, was that brought to his attention? I'm sure he, he's well aware of it by now, but I mean, uh, while you were meeting down there. Well... I'd say there's a high percentage of the people that I talk with on NOVA that have discovered this little way to throw the bottle in the ocean and get it answered a lot sooner rather than going on IRIS or yeah. going on that 1-800-827-1000 prize redemption line. you gotta, you got to think on your feet in this business. And even with this new claim system, the new appeals management system, whatever it's called, appeals <clears throat> modernization act, it's uh, it's it's good, but it's not great. Is it better than the old one? Mm, yeah, maybe we're not, the the jury's still out because we don't have enough evidence yet. We don't have enough to. Statistics, but one thing we do know is that higher level of review is uh, was a dry hole, and now they're kind of like I said, they're they're cheating. They're just calling it. Oh well, we did something wrong, so we, we got to start all over again here, guys. Uh, we we yeah, but the, the attorney doesn't get any money, even though he's got all kinds of time and energy invested in it. He's out of the picture. We're giving the money directly to the vet. Well, the one thing they don't understand about that is that we sign a fee agreement, and, and there's something in there that says, you know, even if I, if the VA tries to screw me out of the money, you still really owe me because I want it for you. I mean, that's the whole principle of this 
game after you get denied is you start over or regroup. It's it's anti-attorney. Oh well, that's why most of us are saying I'm not going to take my chances with a bunch of chuckleheads who can't add two and two and come up with four. Doing this claim, I'm just going to go to the Board of Veterans Appeals and have them do it. I want a lawyer deciding my claim, not some guy with the IQ of a rubber duck who's got an M21 computer on his desk and he can make anything happen. And it won't be in your favor. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I don't know. It's going to sound to me like it's going to take. Uh some work to get this uh, functioning properly. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, have to be revamping of it to get it to where it makes sense. How many oh, veterans out there do you know that could march right up to this and say here's what I'm going to do and go this way, that way, or whatever with that they don't have the background knowledge to be able to to uh, take this system on. There's 667,000 claims stacked up at the BVA waiting to be done. Those are legacy claims. That isn't anything to do with RAMP or the new AMA. That's My the hands. Open. we got to get rid of that. And, and by... Hand in veterans of Form 10182 and saying, Here, you can file your NOD directly with the BVA. You think is going to happen. I, I mean, I know for a fact everybody's using that avenue. So that means those poor judges up there who were having to make one and a half decisions every day 10 years ago, then all of a sudden it was two, and then it's two and a half. Those guys are going to have to be cranking out 35 decisions a day. You know as well as I do, haste makes waste. There's just going to be nothing but trouble with that. Uh, actually, I, right at the moment, I'm seeing a nightmare. But uh, maybe there's, you know, I don't see the whole picture correctly. <laughs> well, 667,000 claims. Done. Somehow, sometime, some I don't know how soon that's going to happen. That's just legacy. But if that's any indication, they're going to have over a million claims stacked up there with this new system. If you can get a denial right there at the regional and go straight to the BVA without them having the, the railroad siding yard with all those extra forks that are just keep shoving guys' claims into file cabinets, uh, electronic file cabinets, if you will, until you can issue an SOC or whatever so that they can file their VA-9 and go up to the board. That's what we used to do. We used to shovel them all off into those notice of disagreement, DRO review, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, you sign the VA-9 and you get up to the board. If you can go straight to the board, wouldn't you? I mean, you change well, yeah. I wish you. This, this is like an express lane uh, straight to the VA, BVA, and I suspect a lot of people are going to use it. And then you know what the refrain is going to be? Wow, 
We didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, who would uh, all those people would go straight to the board? That doesn't make any sense. Well, so now, I mean. instead of remands, which they do everything, remand it back. I, I'm so sick of remands that it's pitiful. Uh, because someone down the line there, down that long line of uh, chain of uh, personnel that your claim must go through, someone didn't do their job. So then uh-huh. the court remands it back. So now, uh, what's going to, uh, which one of these forks in the road is going to take the place of the remand or eliminate the remand? Is that starting over? Well, there won't be any remands like you and I used to think of because they're going to send it down to that appeals management office and have them rectify rectify whatever it was. They're going to remand it to the AMO, and they're going to fix it and not put some Mexican tape on it, bailing wire and, and gorilla tape put it back together again enough to shovel it back up to the judge so he can make a decision on it, up or down. Let me tell you something, what they're doing here too, Gerald. If you've got some old boy that fights for five, six years, and finally wins some claims of some serious, like 60% for IHD and maybe 50% for PTSD and then a handful of 10% for a you know, a little peripheral neuropathy and tinnitus and this and that, but he's got enough there, really, to get TDIU. So, you know, of course, the VA hadn't given it to him yet. So then he asked for it, and they said, well, you got to file that VA uh, 218940 TDIU form. So you fill that one out, and then they said, well, you got to fill out the 4294, and so you fill that out. And you get all that stuff together, and you send it to them, and they deny you. So you appeal that up to the board. That's what we always used to do. And you get to the board, and the board first thing the board does, they look at it, and they go, well, it says here this old boy's on Social Security, right? And they says, yep, yeah, yep, Social Security. So where's the Social Security records? I'd like to look at them. Oh, they're not in there. Well, remand to go get the Social Security records. They, the VA knew those Social Security records weren't in the file when they sent it up to the BVA. They did it that way on purpose, Gerald, because yeah. they knew get more time to work on somebody else's claim. And then when it came back, well, then they'd have to call up the Social Security and get the records. But they sent it up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals fully well knowing it wasn't ready to be adjudicated because the SSA records or SSD or whatever were not in there. Well, that's that's a little tricky when they start doing that. I mean, you're skating on the edge of misfeasance because you're, you're purposefully doing something because you're too lazy, you can't get it done in time, you're just trying to clear your desk off and get it into the outbasket. And you know it's going to come back to the in-basket, but it'll be about a year before it gets back here, so what the hell? Nobody's going to put you in jail for doing it. You're not going to get in trouble. So what's the purpose? You know what the purpose is, and I know what the purpose is, but nobody's allowed to say that out loud and complain. 
can't just say, well, it's pretty obvious what happened here. The judge will look at it and say, well, we don't know that for sure. It doesn't look that way, but we don't know that. Perhaps they just forgot to put the records in. Well, did they forget some of the other 5,465 clients that didn't have their Social Security records in there last week? Oh, seems like they forget to do that every time. I think you'd stick a post-it note somewhere on the wall down there in the Raiders coffee lounge that says, Raiders, please start putting Social Security records in with the appeal going to D.C. And then that would solve the problem, but we still have that problem 25 years later. So somebody didn't get the message or the email yet. I think it's on well, sure, it's by design, Alex. Uh, it's another stall tactic. During all this process, how many veterans are falling, you know, uh, passing on? Uh, I don't think we'll ever know the truth of that, but a lot of veterans die every year, and therefore... What happens to their claims? Most of their veteran spouses, they don't know what to do. I don't know how many I've talked to that I know of veterans that's passed on. They just don't know what to do. They well, just say they don't want to pull with it. <laughs> way you're going to get justice in this world is go to the board. If, if, it, if justice can be had, you're going to get it at the board. If That's the only place, yes. you got a higher probability there than, than you did in 1992. If you go back and look at all those BVA decisions back in, the, in that BVA website that they have of all the appeals, you could see a pattern. You could, If you could look at the archived ones that go all the way back to the 60s, I mean, nobody won. I just didn't, and they were boards of three. There were 20 boards of three each, 60 veterans law judges. And I'm telling you, it was like a turkey shoot, man. Everything went down. Nothing escaped. It, it was ugly. Nobody won anything. Or if they did, they got a 0%, or they didn't get their income. They sure as hell didn't get service for anything. And gradually... I think it was probably about 2001 when they passed that VCAA Act that said, well, now we have to tell the veteran why he lost. And we have to explain it to him and say that if you go get this, this, and this and hand it to us, then we'll give you your money. And kind of truth in advertising thing all these years. We didn't know until 1994 that you needed three things to win a claim. The VA kept that out of sight since the War of 1812. Now, they don't want you to win. Hide the way you can win until the court pops it out and throws it and prints it up and says, here's why you didn't win. It makes it easier. But since 2001, I've noticed a sea change uh, in Board of Veterans uh, Appeals judges, the actual veterans law judges, they, um, as you know, they're employed by the secretary. So the secretary says, you're, you're giving away too much money there, uh, sir. You need to deny more. Uh, he was able to do that for a long, long, long time. 
But now it's getting more into that kind of thing where you can't tell me to deny this guy. He's entitled to it. If you do that, I'll blow the whistle on you. You can't you can't do the they don't have that ability to suborn a judge into denying stuff that he should be granting. They don't do that anymore. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still a bunch of son of a bitch judges down there. They're VLJs still from the nineties early two thousands. They're still cranking out defective decisions just like they were in the sixties. I've met quite a few law judges and, and they're all Seem to be real nice guys. I was down in uh, Oakland here two two weeks ago. I think it was the 20, 28th of March. I had to fly down there right after I got back from Nashville. I got in at 2.30 in the afternoon from Nashville, unpacked my suitcase, put some clean underwear and a clean shirt and tie in there, jumped on the airplane the next morning for to go down to Oakland. But uh, the judge was up Real nice guy, young, very professional. I uh, we had a real good chat before we turned on the microphone. I went where I wanted to go and explained what I had to explain. And then I said, you know, this this guy that did the IMO for my client, he he's a man of few words. He's a very very brief IMO. It was like one sentence long, and it wasn't good. It was an IMO, but it just wasn't what I call an IMO. Yeah. And I obtained a new one, a, a real good one, and I presented that. And I said, and here's the new IMO. He said, well, let me see that. I said, well, I'm submitting it with the stuff. He said, yeah, but I want to read it right now. Oh, I've never had a judge do that. They just said, okay, I'll take it all and I'll go look at it. He grabs that new IMO and he whips through the ten sheets like this and he goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this looks pretty good. And I said, well, we we think so, too, your Hunter. And he goes, well, I'll, I'll give you a decision on it. I can tell you right then and there I won that claim, I, the appeal. I know I did. I, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, he, he could tell the writing was on the wall, and he's going to grant that claim because the IMO is, is bulletproof. And the poor guy couldn't be in any worse shape. I, the, the only reason I took that claim is because I had hepatitis C one time, and by God, nobody was there to help me in 1994. This guy. Yeah, you had a rough. <laughs> this guy was stationed at the same place I was at the same time I was. Our, our service overlapped. I did two years over there. I think I was there for he was there for six months before he left common with the time I was there and he uh, bad luck with uh, not wearing a proper suit for going out and chasing women and he caught a socially unacceptable oh. and he had to get a very very large shot of penicillin in his ass for it and uh, two million <laughs> units to kill it anyway um, I did a whole bunch of research and this is one of those kind of times where you can go online and find something that can defend your client without having to pay a lot of money for it. I didn't know this, but if you've ever had gonorrhea and you're cured of it, obviously, um, the antibodies remain in your system forever. Even though you're cured, and of course it won't give you immunity to gonorrhea or something, but what it does is it 
it, uh, <clears throat> it's visible in the bloodstream if you do a test to look for it. And I turn to your honor, uh, if, if, if you'd like, uh, my cl- I'll pay to have it done. I'll, I'll take my client to some place and have them draw blood and uh, do a specific test for antibodies to gonorrhea, and uh, it'll show that he still has uh, that in his body because all of his records are gone. They all burned up down there in St. Louis back in 73, according to the VA. I can see guys in there with flamethrowers, Gerald. Oh, I, can't. <laughs> I don't care who you talk to, the record's burned up in St. Louis. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, anyway, I said, Your Honor, I'm throwing myself on your mercy. The, the records are burned up, but my client right here is the records. His, his liver is gone, it's decompensated. He has to use these. Drug propanolol or something like that. It soaks up the extra ammonia um, ammonia in your blood because your liver isn't filtering it all out, and it makes you it, it, you can't think because you got so much crap in your blood that's polluting it. I said, Your Honor, we can't make this up. Here's his medical records right here, the VAMC up there in Redding, California, right there. Says old Steve's a one sick dude. He's got a esophageal varices. Uh, the blood's coming out of his esophagus because he can't go through his liver because he's got portal hypertension. He's got a whole bunch of fluid in his belly because it's all just a bunch of liquid piling up down there and stuff. And we can't fake that. It's right there in his records. He says, yeah, I see that. And I says, well, in order to get there, Your Honor, either you'd have to drink about a gallon of whiskey a day for 50 years to screw his liver up, or else he'd have to have hepatitis C for 50 years to get his liver to that state. He says, oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. I said, so here's the new Nexus letter, and there's just no way this guy caught it in 1988. And he says, well, yeah, it shows right here in his records that he admits to snorting cocaine in 1988, uh, and there was some blood on the dollar bill he was snorting with. I said, you're right, you're right, Your Honor. He did say that. And, man, if you wanted to screw up your claim, that seems to me that would be about the quickest way in the world to do it, wouldn't it? And <laughs> no, I wouldn't at me. think. <laughs> but I says, well, okay. The reason... He admitted it was because he wanted to get treatment, and he told the truth. And if you believe that, I believe it. I believe him when he tells me he was snorting coke in 88. But the problem is, in order to get that liver screwed up that bad for 50 years' worth of of hepatitis C, if he caught it in 88, he's not going to look like that until 98, 08, 18, 28, 2038. He's going to look like he is right now. So that means he got it in 1970 when he was over there in the greatest risk zone of prostitutes with gonorrhea in Thailand. The judge goes, yep, yep, I can see that. That makes perfectly good sense. Man, I read your records here before you came in, and I didn't see how in the hell you were going to get around that cocaine in 88 trip. I says, no. <laughs> I'm trying to admit that he did it, but it's not the cause of the, of the hepatitis. It can't be. It just medically cannot be that way. So uh, I think I want it, but 
I should have taken bets. I mean, what are the chances that you can win a, a, a claim where a guy admits he used drugs? I think it's pretty pretty hard. Yeah. It's hard enough when you don't say you use drugs. Well, I know there's a lot of guys that deny they use them that want me to rep them, and I ask to see the claims file, and I make them go get it, and then they send it to me, and I read through all those records, and right there, you know, in 1994, this guy's coming in off a homeless binge, and he admits, you know, well, all those little specks on my arm, yeah, those are tracks from shooting up. But I'm all better now. I don't do that anymore, and uh, I need a, a little bit of rehab there. <clears throat> so he thinks that the VA forgot about that. I had one guy. This is no. This is this is horrible. The, they are having these circle uh, kumbaya meetings for veterans who are um, PTSD veterans. I don't remember where it was, but it was at a VAMC. Uh, I think it was down in California, yeah. Oakland. It could have been in, uh, where was that? Oh, it's immaterial where it was. could have been Portland. But they had a circle, and all these vets are sitting there talking, and then they got the, the guy who's in charge, and he's got the, the pad of paper, and he's going, so, Bob, why don't you tell us about what you did in Vietnam? Well, we sat around and snorted a whole bunch of heroin, and when the gooks overran the fence, well, we gunned them down and blah, and that's how I got my PTSD. So, yeah, so you snorted a lot of heroin, did you? Say, oh, God, man, my nerves are just shaking. I'm, it was horrible, man. People are dying to the left of me and the right. You got it. I snorted a little heroin. This guy's writing all this shit down. Bob snorted heroin in Vietnam. <laughs> This guy puts his claim in for PTSD, and all of a sudden here he's reading about this kumbaya circle with all of his buddies that he goes to every Tuesday night as being evidence being used against him. Uh oh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's your VA. You admit mm-hmm. to anything at the VA, somebody's going to write it down. How are you today? God, I feel pretty good, man. The sun's out. The patient has absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, he. he it, he uh, opined on how well he felt and that his cancer must be in remission because he feels good today. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stunts they pull on you. It's really sick. But uh, I, I, in the last six weeks, I just had this run of stupidity where somebody gives you 50% or 60% and probably takes 50% away from you with the left hand and says, yeah, but... We gave you 50% for headache. Yeah, but you took my PTSD away. Well, but you, you, no, no, no. We gave you 50. We didn't take anything away. We just combined it with something else. Sure feels like you took it away. Well, that's just what it looks like. Uh, trust us. Or, gee, what about that, that rating I have? That, here's it. Gerald, you'll love this one. You and John just think this is too cool for school. <laughs> to the Army in 1980. <clears throat> he had a little dink in his finger there where he cut it, the palm of his hand on a Coke bottle when he was flying a kite, tripped over and fell down. And it cut something so his right finger didn't wiggle when he wiggled it. it. It just sort of sat there or it didn't real good. And if he touched over to his thumb and tried to pinch, it wasn't as strong as it could be because the flexor nerve had been... Uh, transected. 
<laughs> so he gets into an army, and first thing somebody says, "Hey, what's wrong with your finger there, Sonny? Why don't you go up there to uh, to the doctor and have him take a look at it? They might be able to fix it." And he goes, "Not that happened when I was six years old. Hey, oh, medicine, they can fix anything now. Private, get up there." So he goes up there, and the doctor looks at him and says, "You know what we could do here is we could." Uh, uh, cut in here and attach this over here to that and, and whatnot. So they put him under and they cut open his hand. The first thing they do is they transect his median nerve. Now all of a sudden he's got a claw like a lobster. Oh, he, no. To work, but it doesn't work real good. So they said, well, that's not, we can still fix this. All we have to do is go down here in your leg and cut out a, 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 a the sural nerve out of you, the backside of your left calf, and we'll we'll uh, add into your hand and fix it. Well, they put that in there, and it worked real good for about two weeks. All of a sudden, it broke loose, and all of a sudden, his hand doesn't work again. And when I say it doesn't work, I mean he's lost four fingers. Oh no! Oh, he ain't doing anything with four fingers. He can't even hold a ballpoint pen. All of a sudden. They did four surgeries on it, and finally in 1992, after he'd been in 12 years, now mind you, he was going to be a lifer. He was going to do the full 20 and retire. After 12 years, he said, well, you know, it's it's too bad. Your hand's all screwed up there, so uh, you have to leave, and here's $30,000, and we feel real bad about it. So he went out oh. bought himself a new Dodge Charger or something in 92 or whatever, and then he goes and files at the VA, and they says, well, yeah, we're going to service connect you for that right hand. You've got loss of use, so you got to get SMCK for that. And because it's your right dominant hand, you get 70%, except for the fact of that finger. If that was screwed up before you got here, that's not service connected, so we're going to deduct 10% from 70, and that makes 60. Now, you, you sit on that 60% for a second. They also told him a bunch of other funny things, but anyway, he got away with a 60% rating and tinnitus, I think. So, if you look at 4.25, which is how you combine ratings, and you know as crazy as I do, that's a EA math, right? Yeah. So you can have you can have 60% if you add 10 to it, it makes 64%. It just rounds back down to 60. Or if you were at 70% and you subtracted 10%, you'd go back to 67. So you basically would round back up to 70. So that 10% really wouldn't reflect itself that way. But it should because that's VA math. You have to do that. There's no, you can't use simple math. You can't just say 70 minus 10 equals 60 because VA math doesn't work that way. But that's what they did. 70 minus 10 equals 60. Here's your 60%, son. Now, you pay back that $30,000, you know, a dollar down and a dollar a week, and when you get to 30, we'll let you know, and then you'll get your 60% checks from us from then on out. And that's so, what he did to him. He came to me back about 2017. He says, hey, can I need to file for my leg. It really hurts where they cut that tendon and nerves and stuff out of there. My whole leg's numb. So I got him, oh, I don't know, he's got problems with his left hip. I got him a whole bunch of things, but I got him up to 100%, but they started taking things away with the left hand while they were giving them to us with the right. So 
instead of 100, we were back at 80 where we were before I even. Oh, God. I'm looking at these guys and I go, do you think I'm stupid? Or, is, is, what, what are we looking at here? Why, why do you think I'm that dumb? So I filed a queue and I said, no. You, when he went into the service, they got something called the police score, P-U-H-L-E-S on all those forms. It stands for pulmonary, upper, lower, hearing, I don't know what the other ones are, extremities, E, e eyes, uh, S. I don't know what the S is, police. Somebody will probably call in and tell us. So anyway, he had ones all the way across, and he was accepted, so the presumption of regularity attaches. They said there was something wrong with his right index finger, but it didn't affect anything. He was able to score marksmanship scores with his M16 rifle, so... Using his right finger to pull the trigger, mind you, before they, before they rearranged his right hand and discombobulated it. So couldn't they uh, get the loss the use of his right hand now? Yeah, he does. He's got a sixty percent rating for right hand. And he gets SMCK for loss of use of the right hand. Yeah, but so, couldn't he go back to where when they reduced him? From seventy percent to sixty, and say, "Hey, you, your math don't jive here." He uh, didn't know any. They just said, "Here's you. You don't get seventy. You get sixty. He's thank you very much. And of course, oh. it took him about seven years to pay back the thirty thousand dollars. Oh in, God, for a month. I bet it did. So anyway, yeah. I started looking through his records, and I saw that. <clears throat> so. I, I started filing him for this and that, and they turned down the TDIU. But I, I finally found that that business about you can't do the 70 minus 10 equals 60, and the VA promptly said, well, no, this you'll love this argument. In the SOC, this is what, honest to God, this is what it's, or the denial, rather, of the Q. It said, well, it shows that he went into the services right hand, but it, and that was dominant, but... He, he was ambidextrous, but then when the right hand got screwed up, he started using the left hand. So the left hand is the non-dominant hand. That's why he's getting 60%. These guys, I looked in the evidence section. They didn't even go back and look at the 1993 rating, or they would have seen the 70 minus 10. They just thought it was 60%, and that's all you get for the non-dominant left hand. Didn't even talk about the fact that he got whacked 10% for a pre-existing, which they can't. But... By God, I looked at his exit physical, and that police score is 111151. His hand is, is five, which means that he can't be in the service because it's it's too screwed up. That's why they made him leave. But they didn't give him a medical retirement. They just said, you're out of here, and here's 30000 bucks. They, they really shit-canned him. They did, they did a real naughty, mean thing to him. So I filed this thing. They said, well, it's okay. Uh, yeah, he was never given 70. Where did he get that shit from, man? No, he only got 60. It's his, his left hand. That's his non-dominant hand. He's right-handed, but he's using his left hand now, so it's only 60. And then they started shucking and jiving some other stuff. And I, I, I caught him on about three or four different things in the queue, and they created some new queues in the process of denying him. So I just balled it all up, but I sent that to Mr. David McLennan, too, and I said, you know, I think this is against the law in, in like, 
56 regional offices. I don't know. What do you think? If the guy has a 26-year protected rating and you zero it out, how does that work? How do you? Could you show me the federal precedent that some, that uh, that um, allows that to happen, sir? I'm telling you, Gerald. These guys, they they make up the law and the rules as they go, and then wait to see if you catch it. Because if you don't catch it, then it isn't wrong, is it? That's right. That's how the yeah, if you don't them on it, they can get away with whatever whatever they think they're big enough to get away with if you don't call them on it. You have to call them on it. Uh, so, and that's a shame. It shouldn't be that way, but that's what it is. Well, it shouldn't be, but I find it interesting that some of these little stunts they pull are very well hidden or they just gloss right over it. Like that one where they combined a PTSD with a TBI here the other day on March 28th. It says right underneath this, it says, we were able to combine your PTSD symptoms with your TBI, but the good news is, is it's not going to influence your ratings because and, and you don't owe us any money back, and and your TBI will remain at seventy percent. So don't worry. But there's no mention in there of, yeah, we sort of kind of have a little due process violation there because we uh, stole your fifty percent for your PTSD, and it deprives you of SMCS. But it's okay, really. Um, we didn't we didn't reduce your rating. You don't owe us any money back or anything. Yeah, but they're two separate categories. They're well, not in the same same family, are they? No. 4.130 encompasses all the different mental diseases. PTSD, uh, bipolar, blah, 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 blah. It's just a long-ass list of them, right? Somatoform disease. Yeah. I, I from all right off the top of my head. I don't do a lot of PTSD claims, as you know. But TBI is rated under uh, 8045, which is under Diagnostic Code 4.124A. And that's neurological diseases due to a injury, a traumatic brain injury. That's what TBI is. It's a disorder. It is has a lot of symptoms, like frying your brain, headaches, tinnitus, uh, uh, you drool a lot, you drag your left foot when you walk, whatever, because you had a traumatic brain injury. And a lot of those guys need R1 or R2 because they're like, you know, they're vegetable boys. <clears throat> it's it's real traumatic to have an IED go off underneath you and lose your arms and your legs and you can't hear or the shit after it happens. And <laughs> in a wheelchair, you're still... I'm shaking your head going, what happened? <laughs> uh, for the next 25, 30 years, you're going to be doing that. You shaking. know, that's that's one group of veterans that they've really done done under, I feel. TBI, uh, uh, veterans with TBI injuries, uh, they've really short-sold them. Uh, hopefully that's going to change, but... I don't see it much. 
I don't either. It's unfortunate, but what I'm seeing is this insane. I see it with special monthly compensation, especially. I see this propensity to fight, fight me, fight my client. When the guy's in a wheelchair, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts that this guy's not going to get up and run across the field and catch a football. Ain't going to happen. If he had one person under each arm, he might not fall down and he'd have to do some staggering steps, but it'd take him half a day to get across a football field. But he yeah. hasn't lost of his lower extremities because he can still walk after a fashion. I had, a guy admit, I, I, I had a guy admit to the VA examiner that he could make the transfer between his bed, where he spent most of his day, into his wheelchair. So the, so the VA examiner from VES, he says, well, patient can walk to his wheelchair, you know, when he exits the bed in the morning and reverse in the evening. Nobody's said anything about walking to the wheelchair. They said that he stood up and fell into his wheelchair. So that's walking. Okay, well. But isn't it a requirement you have to walk so many feet? Well, I yes, believe no, I read somewhere it was. About VA here, Gerald, what have you been smoking? Oh, well, so, yeah, I agree. But, you can crawl uh, across the floor. You, you, you haven't lost the you know, use of your legs because, see, you, you made it across the floor, didn't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had a. Down there, I went down to that DRO here in Jackson, Mississippi, and it was a waste of money and a waste of time, and I thought I could talk to these people, but I couldn't. And she looked at me, and she says, you see those Canadian crutches he's holding there? And I said, yeah. He's walking. I said, yes, ma'am, he is. And his wife's about a foot away from him, hovering around him like a yellow jacket getting ready yeah. to sting him in case he goes down. And I said, he falls down a lot. He's already testified to that. And when he falls down, he's got them Canadian crutches strapped to his hand so he can throw the crutch away and put his hand out to prevent himself from hitting. That's why he gets a lot of contusions on his face. One of these days, the contusion is going to be a concussion. Then he's going to have TBI, and you're going to be paying him for that too. So he's lost the use of his lower extremities because it's a fall danger. No, he hasn't. Yeah, no, no, Mr. Graham, he has not lost the use of his lower extremities. Well, it's called functional use. If you can't use them, then kind of not very functional in my book. But yeah. I get into that argument with them, 4.10 and 4.10, and it, it, it's disheartening. But I can write a brief like nobody's business. I can talk the pants off the devil, Gerald. And I'm telling you. You get in front of a judge, and I win because, you know, I, I'm eloquent. Got a whole bunch of fancy words, and I can use them and memorize them before I get there and familiarize myself with my client's case for about five years I, or two years, whatever the case may be. It's, it's that you gotta look. You got to be there and look that judge in the eye. These video hearings, they don't do any good. client I had down in San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, Roberto, if you're looking at it, it looks like he was like 12 feet away from the camera, and the camera was mounted up about nine feet up the wall, and you needed binoculars to see him and his wife and the, and the examiner over there that was conducting the hearing. 
and I could see the judge, but I don't. And the camera for me was like right in front of me, so I'm sure the judge could see me full blast. But I don't give a shit about seeing me. I wanted to see Roberto. He's the one that's terminally ill with hepatitis C and liver cancer. I don't want you to look at me. Why would they do that? That's why I won't do video hearing. Don't. That, that video conference thing is a, it's just a waste of money. I don't blame you there. Uh, I have to agree on the video. Um, but uh, now Mike Sasser did a video uh, he was telling us about, and that went rather well. However, at the time, he didn't know he was in stage four uh, lung cancer. But uh, I know the BA knew. But anyway, won his claim. So, uh, well, I think I'm going to win this claim with the San Sandy or excuse me, San Juan. I got Matthew Tenner's name of the judge. A nice guy, a little bit officious. One of the old old world judges, so to speak, as opposed to a newer one. But. Uh, we lost a video connection because of three-way. I was sitting in Seattle with my interpreter who speaks Spanish. Roberto's sitting in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and the judge is sitting in Washington, D.C. We lost the link between Washington, D.C. and <clears throat> San Juan three times in an hour. And if that don't disrupt your presentation, nothing will. Yeah, that would wipe you out. Well, I wasn't really happy, but fortunately it was kind of a cut-and-dried case. I just didn't want to fly down to San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'm sorry. I'm lazy. I'm just too I'm just a bridge far from me. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a long trip. It's got to be. I mean, I, I ain't no spring chicken. Going to, back to Nashville just about turned my life upside down. I don't think I've still gotten used to the time difference. Oh, I wish they'd leave this doggone time alone. Oh yeah. There's a law that says they're gonna they're gonna pass a law out here in Seattle. Rid of that daylight savings time to stay on one or, or I would I time. would agree. I'd like to see it one or the other. Uh, the way it is now seems fine to me. I mean, just leave it here. Quit changing the doggone thing. <laughs> Well, remember I, I lived out in Oregon. Uh, I worked in Salem, Oregon, and and I lived up in MacMenville. I would uh, leave MacMenville and and, and uh, <laughs> get to my job fifteen mi- or thirty minutes before it started. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Before I left the house, <laughs> I could never figure that one. Uh, two time zones like that, you know, it's, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I've seen that happen down in, in <laughs> Florida. We went on vacation one year and went to um, Panama City, and we found a real nice restaurant called, over in a place called Mexico Beach. We went over there to go to that restaurant. We crossed over the time zone. We got finished with dinner an hour before we started. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was running into. And, boy, that, yeah, that, that messes your day up. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you shouldn't be tampering with time. Uh, I think we it. need to leave it. Leave it be. 
They like the dark. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. But leave it there. But, Don't uh, live by the the clock. You live yeah. by certain rhythms of the sun. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, That's I'm sure nobody changed. ever heard about it 50 or 100 years ago. Well... Uh, that's the way we lived when I grew up. Daylight to dark, and that was it. Well, daylight, you got uh, up, dark, you went to bed. <laughs> I got a, I got a dog that's getting ready to pinch a loaf here, so I'll probably gonna have to cut this radio show a little bit short this night if you were gonna go all the way to five. Oh, that's okay if you got to. Uh, uh, well, we go I'll ahead and close she... this out and get back on it here. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to give her my sweatshirt to chew on. But if she starts whining, I'll have to leave. But, that's all right. Yeah. That's uh, how that works. Weeks old, you got a small bladder. Yeah. Well, that's right. They do. And uh, when you get to be about 78, you got a small bladder. <laughs> well, you got one. You ain't got a small one, you got a leaky one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hell, it just runs continuously like a spring. <laughs> uh, but, uh, getting old as hell, Gerald, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> How old are you now, Alex? Are you close to a hundred yet? <laughs> no, I'm I'm sixty eight years old. A week ago. Sixty eight. Yeah, that's why I got uh-huh. this new puppy to keep me young. Well, by golly, it will keep you busy. But they're a oh, lot of shit. fun. She gets oh. up at ten o'clock. Time to go out and go potty, and she announces it. And then she wakes me up again at one thirty, and she yeah. wakes me up again. At about 4.35, and then we come back in. I go to put her back in her little cage there, and she won't have no part of that. So finally, I just sit there and listen to her howl until 5.30, and then I'll take her <laughs> put her in the living room in her little cage like this thing I got here and give her her breakfast, and that's the only thing that's going to shut her up. And then I try to sneak another minutes of sleep, and it's killing me, Gerald. <laughs> Well, you got to teach her to take a nap with you. That way, that'll well, like take care of people, people call me up and want me to get on radio shows and cuts into my nap time. Oh, I bet it does. It does mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want your readership or your <clears throat> your radio listening audience to know you keep it. You keep advertising me as a certified claims agent. I got promoted on February 8th of 2018 because when I got accepted to the Court of Veterans' Appeals, they said, you're no longer an agent. You're a non-attorney practitioner now, Mr. Graham. You're an officer of the court. Non-attorney practitioner. Oh, my. Well, we'll have to get that uh, changed here on our advertising. That could be That's right. Promoted. I didn't well, get a paycheck increase, but I got promoted. Well, <laughs> That's all right. That's still 
you know, uh, that's stepping up the ladder. Next thing you know, you might qualify to be a judge. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, I think there's 30, last I checked, I think there's 33 of us allowed to practice at the Court of Veterans' Appeals, and most of them uh, work in the Office of General Counsel Presenting claims, you know, just single judge memorandum claims from the OGC in front of the CAVC. That's all they do. But uh, I think there's 13, maybe 12 veterans uh, agents that practice at the court, like myself. I don't know why they want me in there, you know. (laughs) I'm pretty sketchy. Well, that's all right. You must earn the right, or they wouldn't have done it, I guarantee you. Well, I told you I'm a silver-tongued devil, son. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, I've, you're, you're lucky to have your facilities about you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, I've uh, as far as these new presumptives go, I don't have the list in front of me. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, it's uh, for hypertension. Uh, Parkinson's like symptoms, uh, bladder oh, cancer, and uh, I think, uh, oh, uh, yeah, bladder cancer, and I think there's one other. But uh, it's something that, you know, they've been arguing about for years. Oh, yeah, I knew uh, that. Uh, and why it's taken them so long, uh, I don't know. Uh, because, uh, you know, you can have, I say if you have two or three or or four different presumptives on Agent Orange, chances are you were exposed to Agent Orange. Uh, that's my thinking on it. Of course, I know the BA don't look at it like that, but... Uh, you don't get them presumptives, all you know, three or four presumptives, and and not be uh, exposed to Agent Orange. I wouldn't think. Of course, there's other agents out there. I'm sure that can cause symptoms. Well, did the, did you say you had the? I know there's 14 diseases on it right now with with a sort of hogged out mixture, but I knew there was one that... Uh, oh, Larry, uh, thyroid, hypothyroidism was the other one. Okay. Yeah, I have, uh, yeah, I do too. I have hypertension, Parkinson's-like symptoms, and hypothyroidism, as well as neuropathy and diabetes and some other stuff, but uh, I got enough presumptives uh, to, you know, and Judge Copeland did mention in her last remand that I was exposed to herbicides. She didn't particularly say Agent Orange, but I guess they call it herbicides. So, oh, yeah, it expresses herbicides because, well, hell, there's six different flavors. 
Joe. I, I can remember seeing, I only remember seeing three different colored barrels. There's Agent White, Agent Blue, and Agent Orange that uh-huh. I saw when I was over there in the two years I was there from 70 to 72. But before, out over there in the early, I'd say mid-66 to 70, they were using that Agent Pink, Green, and Purple, and that stuff was nuclear. I mean, you sprayed that shit didn't grow there. It was like the moon. It, you're never going to see a tree on the moon. You're not going to see it where they use purple and green. The pink wasn't much better, but it, it, that stuff sunk down into the rice paddies, and they never grew any rice there ever again. It's bad. pretty ugly. Damn. Well, it's, I know uh, up in Alaska, that according to the Corps engineers, uh, the report I have from the Corps engineers, Said they used it along the pipeline, which makes sense. And they also used it on the right of way on Richardson Highway. Well, when I was in them test projects, that's where we had to park our vehicles, was in the right of way to go open the gate because they had this big iron gate we had to open and close to go through. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, plenty of evidence there. That's admitted, you know, that's the Corps engineers. I don't know how they can argue with them guys. That's well, kind of funny. I got one of the guys uh, I'm representing is a Agent Orange uh, in Thailand. Uh, named Ray Parker, a real nice guy. Lives down there in Texas. And uh, he knows, and I know, because he was stationed the same base I was, too, which is called Udorn, or Udon Tani. Uh, it was just about a stone's throw from the Laotian border, and the, the, the air base closest to the Ho Chi Minh Trail, like we used to say. Uh, it, those bases were so small, Gerald, and they say the drift zone, or if you spray this stuff, is, is like... 50 meters or something like that. I don't know. Every bit of 50 or 100 feet or something like that. Well, I saw some other stuff here more recently while I was studying his claim. It says it's 500 meters. So even if you just call it 500 feet instead of 500 meters, if you painted a 500 strip inland from the perimeter of all those bases we were stationed at over there, You'd end up with like a postage stamp in the very middle of the base, maybe, uh, that wasn't affected by the spread. And then they yeah. they're left and right and say, well, you had to be on the perimeter. Well, if the, if the drift zone is 500 meters, my barracks was 50 feet from the fence. That's why we brought our MC. teams home with us at night and slept with them right next to our beds. Because there wasn't a whole lot of concertina wire and shit between us and the perimeter. And, oh, uh, you know, in that kind of environment, you want to have your weapon close by. You don't want to have to report to the orderly room and pick it up. I'd be wearing that thing. <laughs> I I got my sister sent me a three fifty seven Magnum Model 19 Smith & Wesson. Boy, they, yeah. they're... Nothing goes wrong with those things. You don't need a safety. They don't get dirty. They always shoot. You can throw them in the mud, pick them up, and shoot them. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and you can you know, hit something with them. Not like a 45. Yeah, 45, you got one bang and the rest of it, uh, no damn where they're going. Uh, unless you're yeah. an expert, you know. Uh, most oh, common people, 45's got a pretty good buck, even if you got both hands on it. Well, well yeah, even at 357, you need both hands yeah, on look. it. 45 was nice. If you shot a goose with a 45, he did not get up and start running again. I mean, it pushed oh. him into the dirt. Yeah. Uh, that 357 yeah. Magnum was about 10 steps smarter because it take off an arm or a leg. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it would put him down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I like the 357. I got to pull the plug here. My my little girl Pickles here is telling me that I'm in deep doo-doo. I can smell it, smell something being produced. Uh-oh. Okay, yeah. Alex. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Good Been a great thing. show, really. Hey, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll draw me up a, a whole bunch of forks and put it on my uh, website for you. Well, I got thinking while you was talking. I said, hey, I can see something coming here. I'm going to see how many forks gets added to this thing. I got a feeling it's going to, it's going to look rough. There's six forks, and I'll draw them for everybody so they can see where they're going with it. But All plumbers. right. Now I go end up with six more, too. You could jump uh, from the top of the HL higher level of review and make a complete circle and come back in on the su- supplemental claim lane. Well, that's a good map. <laughs> All right, Alex, appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. Talk to you later. You have a good one. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Master Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.